we've got two readings this evening. The first reading is Matthew 5, starting at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning, and heard the trumpet, and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance, and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So, I'm going to start off with an anecdote from work. 
um, when I work, it's an open plan office, uh, and nominally we all hot desk and can sit anywhere. Apart from the fact that, of course, that we all tend to sit in the same seats with the same people because we're creatures of habit. And where I sit, there's a group of, sort of six desks, and we've got myself, we've got a Welsh guy, we've got lass from Vietnam, we've got a Chinese lass, we've got a, a chap from somewhere in southern India, and I can't remember where, and a chap from Persia. And we talk about all sorts of rubbish. Occasionally we get work done, um, but it does sometimes feel that most of the time we're just talking rubbish, and everybody's very good-natured. And I can't quite remember how we, we started off on, on this particular topic or, or quite what we said. Um, but the chap from Persia had said something along the lines of, well, that's fine, but you know, it's basically the same as any other religion. You, know, you try and make sure that you do enough that's good, and that'll outweigh what you've done that's bad, and then if God is merciful, you can go to heaven. And I said, well, yes, but that's not actually how the Christian religion works. Um, because we can get into heaven by God's grace, and if we accept that Christ died and rose again, we are guaranteed a place in heaven. And his reaction was, well, that's madness. That's ridiculous, because then you can just do what on earth you like, can't you? There's no incentive to be good, because you've got a guaranteed place in heaven. And I had a conversation along the lines of, well, no, because if you understand what it costs you to get into heaven, your response is to attempt to be good. But God's standard is so high, you can't make it. And his reaction was pretty much the same. So, well, that's ridiculous. And on one level, it is ridiculous. I mean, even Paul says, you know, the cross is a stumbling block to Gentiles and anathema to Jews. They've got those long way around. But it does sound pretty mad. Um, so this debate continued for a bit, and I don't think I convinced him. Um, but nonetheless, it was one of those sort of good conversations that makes you think sometimes about what it is you believe and you know, where you're going, the rest of it. And it was, I was, got me thinking when I looked at this about how high God's standards really are and you know, why there's no chance of us meeting them in our, own, in our own strength. We're looking at Matthew 5, both in the morning and in the evening. Um, I don't know how many of you here last week when Paul was preaching. Uh, if you were, you'll know that he was talking and he sort of gave the introduction to the second half of Matthew 5. If you're not, I'd encourage you to go and listen to it. Um, but... Jesus was saying in that first part that he didn't come to get rid of the law, he didn't come to abolish it, but he came to fulfill it. And Paul was talking about you know, what's actually involved in fulfilling the law, what does that mean? Now we come to the part where Jesus is actually saying, now I tell you stuff. And let's just actually look at the very first part of what he says. Before we even get into the actual teaching, he kicks off. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders, can I borrow your glasses, Jen? I can't read this at all. <laughs> anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be, will be subject to judgment. That doesn't sound like a big deal. But just think about it a minute. Imagine I were to say, this is God's word, but listen to what I tell you. That's going to come across as pretty arrogant, isn't it? Particularly for those of you who know me, it's going to come across as extremely arrogant. But that's what Jesus is saying. It was heard you said to the people long ago, and not just by some bloke. God said to the people in a mountain with fire, and it was so important he got Moses to carve it on two tablets. 
This is what God said to the people. And in that list of commandments, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus is saying, okay, you heard it said this, but this is what I'm saying. I am coming in my own authority to extend Scripture. Big stuff. Big stuff. You can go understand why the, the Pharisees and a lot of people sharps intake of breath. Because not only have you got the Ten Commandments, a very, very good, succinct moral law, but here's this bloke in a pair of scrubby sandals coming along and saying, but this is what I say. And then he goes on to extend it. Not only is it, do not be angry. Sorry, don't even do not murder, but don't even be angry. What kind of a commandment is that? How on earth are we supposed to do with this? It also shows up something else. Because if you think about how God chose to display himself in the Old Testament, he had to give a set of commandments to the people. Think about where they were coming from, the, you know, the whole of the sort of Exodus and the rest of it, and he said, okay, guys, this is what you need to do to separate yourself off from the other people, from the tribes, from everything else that was going on. Here's a set of commandments. If you stick to these, if you do your best with these, you're all right. And that was God appearing as a quite a distant person in many respects. God's come down in Jesus with the dusty sandals, with the needs for, for water and food and drink and everything else. And he comes along with a very different commandment. He comes along and says, don't even be angry. And you think that's ridiculous. But then we look at Jesus, who is God, who fulfills all that law, and who shows us how to live and shows us what to do. When he says here, do not be angry. Do not be angry with a brother or sister who is subject to judgment. Anyone who says, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in dangers of the fire of hell. Raka and you fool, they don't translate particularly well. The best I've come across is Raka is roughly equivalent to calling somebody a cretin um, in Hebrew. And you fool apparently is roughly translated to a moron in Roman. So not particularly nice terms. It's not like you're gentle teasing, it's pretty offensive. But it's not as offensive as it could be. But they're both terms where you're sort of demeaning the other person's intellect. You're belittling somebody. Now, we were just joshing around a little bit before, and there's a bit of banter and what have you going on. But you wouldn't call somebody in that context either of those words. They're too strong. They are offensive. But again, they're not. They're not as offensive as you can be. I'm not obviously going to say these words that you're offensive as you could be, but they're not as offensive as you could be. So the bar for not getting angry and not being offensive isn't actually too difficult to cross. Let me give you another example from work. There's a lot of bad language in our work, but let's not go there. I'll give you a particular example. We had a, you guys all have conference calls, don't you? Where you've got like eight or ten people on the phone all at the same time, quite often in different time zones. And we're trying to work through a whole bunch of, pro of projects. And we were on this particular call, and the team that 
I was working alongside, has done an awful lot of work to get a whole chunk of data and a process sorted out. And they've been given a spec and they'd said, it needs to do this, 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 and this, and this. And we expect the result to be this, 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 and this. And they'd gone all through that and they'd got the project and they'd worked it out. And the results weren't quite what we expect. But they'd done exactly what was asked and they could demonstrate why the results weren't where they expected the rest of it. The chap who was on the, the call who'd asked for this, it was a reasonably senior bloke, um, was giving it quite a lot of grief about the fact that clearly we'd done it all wrong and there was a bunch of idiots and what was going because we knew you should have got 2,000 a month, not 20, and all this kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, he either wasn't understanding what was being said or he didn't want to or he'd missed something um, or, any, any, or any combination of those three. But we were poles apart. We weren't making any headway on this. And in the end, he kind of like said, look, this is ridiculous and effectively left the call. There was a silence from everybody, and then his voice on the other end of the call said, do you think he's gone away to get another short plank? Now, that's kind of taken the mick out of him a bit, um, because everybody's instant reaction will feel about laughing, uh, because that's all what we were thinking. We were all thinking he's being... That's a bit of light-hearted relief. If we'd gone on a little further imagine, and you could have said, well, yeah, he really is stupid, he really is thick of two short planks. We'd have fallen absolutely foul of Jesus' commandments. That's ever such a fine line between a joke to lighten relief and falling foul of something Jesus absolutely said. No wonder we can't possibly achieve Jesus' standards. Because well, nobody's going to go out and murder him. I mean, you know, he might have been a bit, but we're not actually going to go out and murder him. We managed to avoid getting totally angry with him as well. You know, nobody actually lost their rag on this call. But we still called him a fool. It's hopeless. There's absolutely no chance we're going to make anything. There is no way any of us are ever going to meet these standards. None whatsoever. So why bother? Well, apart from what it cost us, or what it cost Jesus, Your song with the Lord is perfect. We won't know what it cost to see that sin on our cross. We have no idea, really, this side of heaven, what that cost was. How do we respond? How do we say, God, your standards are unattainable. What do we do? But we want to keep your commands. First of all, we could think there's a legalistic bit of a get out here. Let's pretend for a moment we're all Pharisees. Don your ephods, everybody. Let us pretend we are Pharisees and read the words very carefully. It says here, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. So perhaps, aha, we could say that this only applies to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We could say that it's okay to think that some of our senior management are fools because they're not Christians, they're not our brothers in Christ. Hands up anybody who thinks that's a legitimate way to read the Bible. Nobody. Quite right, of course it's not. Does that bear the slightest resemblance to the way Jesus behaved? No, it doesn't, it's completely inconsistent. Even if we were going to split hairs, I don't think for a minute we could actually say that's what Jesus meant. 
And he goes on, in fact, actually to, to just say, anyone who says you fool with no you know, caveats on it whatsoever. I don't think there's a legalistic get-out. I think this applies to everybody. We shouldn't go around belittling people. We shouldn't go around getting angry with people, no matter how apparently stupid they're behaving. There is, however, if not a solution, there is a very, very clear instruction on what we should do, which is we have to try. We have to try to be better. We have to try to guard our tongues. We have to try to guard our thoughts. Now, I will cheerfully say that I have an O-level, an A-level, and a degree in backsliding. Because sometimes you can do really well at this, and other times you just go, and you're right back where you started again. Don't give up. And I don't understand how the Holy Spirit works. And I think I've stood here before and said, I have no idea why God chooses to do everything the way he does, given that we know he could just pour the Holy Spirit in like a bucket and make us all wonderful. And he seems to do that with very few people. But what I have found with this stuff, and particularly with the getting angry bit over the years, is that God acts as the Holy Spirit. is more like... What's a good... I know it's an analogy. Imagine you've got a massive bank vault door. You know, one of those things like, you know, they get in cartoons that's like 10 feet wide and it's got huge bolts around it. And you look at this door and you've got to open the door, okay? And you know this door is going to weigh about four and a half tons of solid steel. And you're thinking, I'm not going to be able to open this. So you look at it, no, you're not. So you stand there and you think, Lord, open the door. Open the door, Lord. No, nothing happens door doesn't open. You can stand there, you can say open sesame, you can do the elvish for friend, whatever you like, that door isn't going to open. And then you come along, you realize the handle there, so you start pushing, and you realize it's a powered door. So as long as you start pushing, there's an awful lot of power is going to help you open that door. But until you actually start, nothing happens. Stand there and do whatever you like, nothing's happening until you actually start moving that door. And then, because it's a powered door, it'll help open. Not in your own strength, because you know you can't open something that's two and a half tons. But because it's a powered door, it opens. And whether this is theologically sound or not, I don't know, but it's how it feels. When we try, the Holy Spirit comes along and helps you along, and things happen. But if you don't try, nothing happens at all. If you try to curb your anger, if you try to watch your tongue, if you try to not be quite so quick-witted and quite so snappy with the psyche comments, God does help you out. The Holy Spirit does come. Sometimes you backslide, but then you just try again. In fact, even actually on the next paragraph, there's an example here of what the sort of thing where Jesus is saying. That, Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Try. You've remembered it. Right, do something about it straight away. Don't let it sit until the day after. It might be too late. We can't achieve God's standards. 
we can't, we can't even commit, you know, if we tried, we couldn't keep all the Old Testament laws. We certainly can't keep the standards of God that Jesus kept because he was completely without sin. We know we're going to backslide. But we also know that if we try, we get help and we get better. And that really is the point of this service. It's the point of this sermon. It's the point of both, in fact, actually. We're here to get better. We're here to try and worship God. We're here to try and live a life that's a good enough example that when we sit at our desk with six people, none of whom have the slightest religious belief whatsoever, they'll look at us and say, well, actually, you know something. He is a bit different. She is a bit different. You get known as somebody who's not just joshing in with the rest of it. You get known as somebody who's a bit different. Who actually reflects a bit more of Jesus Christ. No big challenge then in today's service, today's sermon. You've all heard this before. Strange though. It seems to be an awfully big challenge when we try to live it out, doesn't it? Let's pray.